0: Hey there, I'm Andrew Ainsworth, a proud supporter of Sword and Laser, thanks to Patreon.com. It's easy to set up, and what do you get out of it? Endless geeky bantering about the latest sci-fi and fantasy books. So if you want to help out, head over to Patreon.com slash Sword and Laser. Give a little, and get a lot of Veronica mispronouncing things.
1: Welcome to The Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. And we are here live at DragonCon 2015.
0: You know what I love about Dragon
1: Con? We have people cheering for yeah, us? Yeah, you don't need a hype
0: man to come out and instruct them. They just cheer. Yes. It's awesome.
1: Well, Sword and Laser is a book club, of course, but it is so much more. We bring you news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, author interviews, and, of course, amazing discussions from fans like you. And we are beyond thrilled to welcome back to the show Miss Sherry Priest. <laughs> thank you so much for being here. Hey, thank you for having me again. You literally have like five hundred thousand panels this year at Dragon. Con. I do actually, and this is like only some of them. They left some of them off of my badge. I have to, like, that had to give write you a booklet. <laughs> yes, I need a pamphlet at this point. So the last time we had you on the show, I believe was uh, 2012 or 20. Yeah, it was 2012, uh, September 2012 for the uh, author guide video series that we were doing on YouTube. Back with Lem, the, the our cyborg dragon. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yes. thank you. Yeah, mad, mad, props to Lem. He's he's hanging out. He's doing well. Yeah. How How's he doing? He's doing well. He's
0: been. Uh, he he lives in my basement you. now. It's, yeah. it's
1: a little tight. The little quarters are a little, little iffy. But yeah, he's, does he you know, get out much? His, his scales are getting a little like. No, we don't want to talk about it. It's okay. I'll, I'll take him out for a walk when I get home. I swear.
0: <laughs> Finally.
1: Uh, but you have been up to some things since the last time we talked to you. Can you share what you've been up to for the past three years, bookwise? Some things and some stuff. Uh Let's see. I actually, this
2: that we have over here that you can't see because this is a podcast is my fifteenth novel that was released this last week. Congratulations. Thank you. I'll take it. I'll take it. Um so this, this is number 15, but anytime anyone tells me, I read your book, they mean Bone Shaker. And uh, I'm at peace with that. I went home and bought a house, so thank you. Thank you, all of you, for that. Uh, but that series has wrapped up now. We finished that off with Fiddlehead a couple years ago, and I come out of, of the horror tradition. I'm an old goth, and it's it's my passion, so went back to it and did a book about Lizzie Borden fighting Cthulhu with an axe, called Maplecroft, last year. And this is the follow-up to that. And and although the cover seems to depict Mrs. Claus having taken a axe to the stable one terrible christmas eve um it's actually set in late summer in alabama in the 1920s uh so never mind that <laughs> the books look very nice together but i'm a i am am a little confused by the cover on this one so that's, I, a,
1: that's an interesting question yeah. because we hear different things from different authors about how much input they have in the design of a book cover but it sounds in this case it was it was maybe it less than you would have liked it it, it depends i mean it,
2: it's a little hit and miss. It depends on the publisher. It depends on the project, and I think they really just wanted it to match the other one, which was very cool. It was, you know, Lizzie Borden in spooky dress with lots of distress, and there's an axe behind her back, and uh, and and I, this is also that, um, even though the <laughs> book is not also that. <laughs> but that you know, it's okay. I'm at peace with it. So
0: well, we read Bone Shaker uh, for a sword and laser pick, and one of the things I loved about it was that you really gave a feel of Seattle for people who've been to Seattle now, but in that steampunk universe, and it was age appropriate, or era appropriate, uh, and you've moved locations. So <laughs> it, it, you used to live in Seattle, correct? I did.
2: Um, I, I'm, to head this off at the past, I was born in Florida, but my parents were military and moved around a lot. Uh, ended up in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where I live again now. But my husband took a gig with Amazon Corporate in 2006, and then we moved back in 2012. So that that's a long story, really short. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And we've
0: covered it on previous episodes, I think so.
2: <laughs> well, because I mean, a, a lot of my early stuff was set in in the South, and I love like Southern Gothic. You know, it, it is the weirdest place. There's, it's just the funniest. There's, there's so much to work
0: with. <laughs> well, I was, I was curious if you like, did you have, did you go back to Alabama to kind of? Re-experience I've never been to it? I, Well,
2: no, I've been to Birmingham, but it's been years and years. Okay, um, I'll be perfectly honest. Um, no, it's it's there's actually a series of really strange axe murders that happened in the nineteen twenties that just seemed like a really logical and interesting uh, uh, follow up for something that w- w- kind of was a stand alone uh, so I, oh. wanted, I wanted this to be a different story but with some of the same people somewhere
1: else It was very interesting for me um, to even hear about this series because I grew up in New England, and the 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 mythos behind Lizzie Borden has always been kind of very deeply embedded in our our psyche in the New England area, in Massachusetts and Connecticut. You know, everybody knows that rhyme: Lizzie Borden took an axe, killed her parents with forty wax, etc. But it's 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 a very different kind of story. I mean, she's the protagonist, Mm -hmm. and also, Cthulhu is oh, there. Yes. We never name him. Okay. <laughs> don't
2: say the name. He might appear. Yeah, it's
0: not that's not a bad. That's a good idea. Don't no.
2: It. No. Yeah, no. You don't it's want to say.
1: Counterproductive. That.
2: Um, no. So, I, so what was the? Yeah. How'd you get into that? <laughs> well, I, by sheer dumb luck of uh, Lord, back probably around 2007 or 8, I stumbled across the trial transcripts online, and it was so weird. I mean, there's so much stuff that's not in the rhyme. It was just such a strange case, and there's an early chapter in Maplecroft that I tend to do at readings because I just announce it with, "All right, this is the doc." To who lived across the street from them, 99% of everything in this chapter is true. It actually happened. And, and people are like, no, no, like I couldn't have made it up. It was just very, very strange. Uh, the year leading up to it, uh, they were confident that someone was trying to poison them, and they sent off samples of their food to several universities, and uh, no, everything's fine. And across the street from them lived the town doctor. And literally the night before they were killed, in the middle of the night, Abigail Borden ran across the street and beat down his door. And he was so tired of hearing from them. He thinks his whole family's a bunch of hypochondriacs by this point. Mm. So he tells her, like he opens the door, and he's like, lady, nobody's go home and she's like no you have to help us someone's trying to kill us and he says no one's trying to kill you go home and the next morning they're found brutally murdered and he is his name was um, Seabury Bowden, but I thought that was too close to Borden, so I renamed him Owen Seabury. Uh, he's really the reason that Lizzie was exonerated. He went to bat for her, and I think he felt bad, like he should have done something to prevent this and failed. And uh, and he was he had been a, a Union doctor during the Civil War, and uh, you know he's a medical professional and. And, a, and an intelligent guy who, who felt like he had clearly dropped a ball somewhere. And I thought making him a character in this and giving Lizzie some agency because we really know very little about her. She never spoke to the press. She never spoke to the public. Um, she and her sister bought a house called Maplecroft across town. And 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 oh oh the, the word that got around you know it, there's there's lesbianism and witchcraft and, oh. and wild parties and two out of three ain't bad. Uh, <laughs> she there was there was a, a silent screen actor named Nance O'Neill who basically treated Lizzie as her sugar mama. And uh, the only thing scandalous about it to me is she was almost literally half her age. <laughs> she was like a teenager when Lizzie was nearly 40. But, uh, so we know about that and we know that when she died she left her estate to the Humane Society. She really loved animals. Oh, wow. And I thought... This will sound like a strange comparison, but but bear with me. I've always felt about Lizzie Borden the way I came to feel about Michael Jackson. And hear me out.
3: Okay, <laughs> hear me out.
2: All right, so Lizzie Borden was accused of terrible things, and we don't know if she did it or not. Michael Jackson was accused of terrible things, and we don't know if he did them or not. They are both acquitted. So if either one of them did the things they were accused of, they got away with it. But if they didn't do it, they didn't deserve what happened to them. And so there's no right way to feel about those outcomes and so the way I tried to come at it was I had her I, she did it in in my version of events uh, but in her defense her parents were turning into Lovecraftian fish people and trying to eat her so I mean you know, which one of you
0: wouldn't have done the same yeah, exactly yeah. I'm on board exactly yeah
2: so Chapelwood is is 30 years after all that happened and uh, it's her with a new case in a new place and trying to tie off some loose ends from some things that happened in, in the first book but,
0: it's really interesting to me because and and especially because you brought up the Michael Jackson comparison Is Lizzie Borden experienced in this Victorian time Mm -hmm. something that we consider now to be a product of social media and the Internet generation, which is, you know, the trial by by public opinion? And she absolutely was tried and found guilty by public opinion.
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, there were all kinds of it was the trial of the century. There was a big theory for a long time that she had done it naked. Quite, quite literally, it was when it, well. That's why there was only a little bit of blood on her clothes at the hem, and it was consistent with her having found the bodies and tried to rouse them. And uh, there was a theory that was widely publicized in the papers that she had murdered them naked, and then had gone and hosed herself off and redressed and buried the axe downstairs. And and, and the, was that
0: just wholly made up by the press? It was entirely made up. Yeah. They
2: had no idea. Um, and after when when the murders were discovered, because the, uh, there was a a maid whose name they never got right. The family called her. The, the family cared so little about this woman that they never even used her correct name, Uh, but she found them while Lizzie was out back in a barn and ran across the street and got this doctor and he summoned the police and it was a different time. Uh, they opened up the house, and all the neighbors came tromping through it, um, taking souvenirs, and, and and like looking at the bodies and poking them and tearing off pieces of their clothes, and and like kicking stuff over. And it was very. It, I mean, it's it's unfathomable today. Mm-hmm. But if there had ever been any decent forensic evidence, it would have been long lost to uh, the way that the scene was handled. And anyway, the whole thing was just really really fascinating to me because you can the, the transcripts are easy to find, um, and I just thought that uh, this poor. Dog doctor who who again and again and again they, they tried very very hard to corner him you know well but she got this blood on her and he's like it was consistent with her having found the bodies and knelt beside them to rouse them if she'd actually hit them there would have been way more yeah and uh, again he, he's really the reason she she went free so i i added him to her little scooby gang do
0: you remember the <laughs> first time you ever heard Liz, about lizzie borden
2: I, I was a kid on a playground yeah yeah doing uh i i probably first or second grade and uh, we all had the big jump ropes and the double Dutch yes yeah. the double Dutch yeah. Mary Mary quite contrary. Miss Mary Mac Mac Mac, I'll in black, black, black. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Do
0: you think we'll ever have uh, playground rhymes about Michael Jackson? I don't know. I certainly hope
3: not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Let's say no. <laughs> Ooh. Um, so what was it like wrapping up the Clockwork Century? Because I know that you had been writing that for, I mean, how there were nine books total? Not counting the? Six? Five, six, five seven. Um, uh, t- 14? 35? <laughs> it's a It's quantum.
2: Okay. Five. There were five full-length ones and two shorter ones through an independent press. Okay. And people always want to know why that is, and there's actually a very simple answer to that. Uh, when, when I wrote Bone Shaker, that was the last book I was under contract for, and my career was in the toilet. <laughs> I, I literally thought that was going to be the last thing I ever got to write under my own name. Um, it, was, it was a death spiral. Um, but the early reviews for it were quite good and and, and I, I tried to tell my publisher well I have this idea for a follow up called Clementine about the guy who 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 did the uh, who stole the confederate war dirigible and runs guns and drugs across the Rockies he's lots of fun and my publisher quite reasonably said yeah we'll just see how this does sure. before we go ahead and let you uh, pay you to write more but this independent press uh, subterranean that I've worked for before as an editor and a writer uh, respectively uh, called and they were like well we'll take it And I had a first refusal clause at the time in the contract that said anything over 40,000 words uh, Tor got first pass on, which is why Clementine is like 48,912 words, or 38,912 words, something like that. So there's this little short intermission. And and then by the time it came out, Bone Shaker had happened. And uh, then they were like, give us more, give us more, give us more. So we did Dreadnought and Ganymede and Inexplicables and then closed it off with Fiddlehead. And then I did one little postscript that was set 20 years later, also through Subterranean called Jacaranda, that's set on a haunted hotel out uh, um, on Galveston Island in Texas, mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. right before the big hurricane of 1900 that wiped it off the map. So that was fun too. Such cheerful material, I know. But. Yeah. So did you,
1: did you feel like you Patch were just murders. done writing in that universe? You were ready to move on to something kind of, new? It, well, I mean, between that and, I mean, in, in all honesty, the market was starting to, uh, Steampunk has
2: kind of been up and down for a long time, and it was starting to wind down for now. Um, I, I, steampunk has been very, very to me, and I would be the last person to crap on it. It is a lot of fun, but what it really has needed for a long time is a tent pole without the asterisk, but it doesn't suck. Ah. Because when when you tell great-grandma, well, I'm going to a sci-fi convention, and grandma says, what's that? You say, you know, Star Trek and Star Wars? Yeah, well, it's kind of like that. Or, well, I'm a goth. Really, what's a goth, says grandma. And you say, okay, you know Dracula? Like Frankenstein? It's kind of like that. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. Steampunk got like, the Wild Wild West movie, <laughs> and the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen movie, and it, a bunch of stuff that, that was was not very well received, and and, and because it did, that didn't happen for it this round, I think it's kind of, you know, tapering off a bit, and it'll come back up when that happens. Can, can Bone Shaker not be that? Well, it was actually, it was optioned by uh, Cross Creek and Hammer Productions a few years ago, and uh, that fell through, and... Um, I, I'm not going to say anything more than this, but very, very recently we've had some fresh interest in it. So, uh, by which I mean like a week and a half ago. Nice. So it's. I mean, it could happen. Anything could happen.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, I, you
0: know. with, and I won't look you in the eye when I say these okay. things, but Netflix, mm. Hulu, with all of these people out there producing all kinds of movies and content, mm. there's more people looking for material.
1: Yes, as it turns yeah. out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you are correct, sir. <laughs> well, yeah, that actually really
0: fought. By the way, was it lost on me that you said steampunk was winding down?
1: Waka waka. Oh, see what she did there? I'm here for you. It's oh, running out that. of steam. Oh, no. team dad jokes mm-hmm. Yay. Um, you kind of <laughs> answered uh, Ian's question from the forums about what the state of steampunk really is in 2015 but do you think what do you think is coming up instead if steampunk is losing steam or winding down uh what's 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 coming up what's on the up and up
2: um well this is partly wish fulfillment on my part or 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 hopeful prediction self-fulfilling prophecy let us say first of all steampunk isn't going to go away it's it is a style first and foremost Mm. uh people like to argue about the definition of it all day it is a style of books movies video games what have you that draws its inspiration from the science fiction of yesteryear the end. And, and there are many things that are influenced by it that are kind of, it's it's not a, a binary, it's more of a, a flavor scale, like a one to ten, you know. Um, so I don't think it's going away. And I do think that it's going to flare back up again probably in another few years. But what I'm really, really hoping for, um, I like I said, I'm an old school horror fan, and the market has been soft for horror, as everybody likes to tell me with air quotes. Which is why Maplecroft and Chapelwood are, uh, if you look at the back of them, they're fantasy is what it yeah. says. I mean, they're, they're horror yeah. novels is what they are, but published says they're fantasy because horror is really soft right now. Um, I mean, unless you're Stephen King or, or old Gardan Rice or you know, yeah, those guys. Yeah, that's
1: interesting you say that because we, we were talking to uh, Scott Sigler on the show yes. recently about Alive. And he mm-hmm. really wanted that to be in the horror genre. He wanted it to be sold as horror. And they were like, no, no, YA. Mm-hmm. It's YA. And he's like, yeah, "I okay. that okay.
2: <laughs> we, we had that yeah. chat over drinks, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and, and, and horror is so hot right now. But like in television, I mean, we have American Horror Story. We have Penny right. Dreadful. We have Hannibal. I think it's hard to argue that that's not horror. Um, it's a golden age of dark TV and video games survival horror has always been, you know, very popular and in comic books and, and et cetera, et cetera. Right. But it's having a hard time kind of filtering back into literature. But I think it, it will, and if for no other reason than that, we, we horror nerdy people, have been given a holy heir and sire, or, or, or you know, in, in the form of Joe Hill. Hmm. And the worst kept secret in publishing for years was that he's Stephen King's son and he, he writes horror, but even even him, they they, they don't Produce it that way. It's not marketed that way. It doesn't have like the sleek black covers with the shiny black letters. Um, it's, it's marketed as more of a modern fantasy. But I think that he's going to force that change, or he's going to help it. And he's very, very good at what he does, which which is also important to it. You you, you want your front runners to be good at what they do. Well, uh,
0: and all those things are cyclical. I mean, it wasn't yes. more than a couple of years ago we were bemoaning no science fiction on television, yes. and now we're getting yes. an avalanche. Of them,
2: Indeed. So. And and for horror, it's a little hard because there was that big bubble in the 80s and up through the early 90s, and when it burst, I mean. It took probably a couple dozen careers with it,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and everybody's trying to kind of find a way out and around it and into different genres. But, um, I mean, for example, um, um, Laurel K. Hamilton is one people talk about a lot. She started as a horror. Her books were horror, Guilty mm-hmm. Pleasures and, and the Anita Blake stuff. And when that bubble bursts, suddenly she's, you know, urban fantasy and starts kind of, Or I mean, that's the marketing of it. I'm not saying that the books are their, their fundamental right. nature change, sure, sure. but publishing adjusted and the authors who were able to adjust, you know, to this new course have have fared better.
0: Well, I wonder if that's one of the problems with marketing is because Mm. people think urban fantasy, vampires, werewolves when they think horror now and they didn't used to. They used to think... I think
1: romance.
3: Yeah. Mm, You think when you hear horror? No, werewolves. Oh.
2: (laughs) Well, I was actually on a panel about this yesterday. It's one that I've kind of done every year where uh, it's like, you know, uh, urban fantasy versus horror like where's the line? And it used to be paranormal (laughs) romance versus urban fantasy. Where's the line? And apparently I said something like a year or two ago that I totally forgot saying that was so cool that Carol wrote it down, the moderator. (laughs) And I said that the difference was um, a focus between adventure and terror
3: hmm. like
2: are your werewolves and vampires i mean is your protagonist like having adventures and fighting them adventuresomely or is the point for them to terrify your protagonist and oh, for them to provide something for them to overcome and i'm like that's awesome i'm gonna have to remember that this time
1: so yeah. I, no that's that's an extremely good yeah. point yeah now that i, I think back on all that. Yeah.
0: you can quote yourself with a band i can quote
1: it. myself yeah. so, so i think that that's kind of
2: it, because now people are talking about urban fantasy starting to slide off again and mm. and and Romance is still doing strong, but romance will always be strong. It's the bread and butter of a, of the industry. So, um, and and there's there's I don't know. For all everyone talks about the market. You, you can't chase that. You can't follow that. By the time you're chasing a trend, you're already two years out of date, given how slow publishing works. Like, right. Do your own thing. Do what's interesting and important to you, and it'll find a spot or it won't. But but nobody ever succeeds by chasing the market. It's it's always a bad idea. Hmm.
0: I wonder if being able to independently publish and serve that core of markets that never goes away even when there's a bust, mm-hmm. will even out those cycles a little bit, or?
2: Well, the indie presses are, are doing a great deal of that now. I mean, like Subterranean does, does uh, uh, Robert McCammon is writing again, and Subterranean does most of his stuff, uh, for for example, and, and Peter Straub and some of the older mm-hmm. guys. Um, I th- there, there will always be that niche. There will always be, you know, tragic teenagers coming up every few years. And- and As they uh, do, like you do, I yeah, I a was never-ending
0: one. fountain of
2: well, and it, it was kind of one of the things about steampunk that when it hit, um, a friend of mine who's a librarian in Texas, his name is Jess Nevins, uh, made this little joke in a private forum about how steampunk is what happens when goths discover brown.
1: Oh yeah, and that is that is a classic joke, right? <laughs> We've all heard that joke. Yeah, it's yeah, amazing. It it's pretty funny. I, I said saying, it at yeah. the
2: ALA late years ago, and Cory Doctorow said that I had said it, oh. Oh. and so it made the round. Ra- it's not me. It's my friend Jess, and he's lovely. And <laughs> He's brilliant. Um, but, but there was an element of truth to it in that when I was a tragic young gothling in Florida, God help me, um, a tragic young gothling who was, you know, you're theatrically sad and it's part of your thing and it's what you do. Well, now I'm 40 and I have a nice house and a great husband and cool pets and I'm not sad anymore. But the desire to be theatrical doesn't go away. And and Steampunk kind of was a way for grown-ups to play dress-up In a way that you could wear to work You could, you know, be on the street And not have people think that you're really strange uh, And and I think there was something very appealing Specifically about that mm. And it tended to be a lot more diverse in a broad sense Like when I was a tragic young goth Hanging out in my friend's basement I was usually one of like two girls You know, and uh, it, Anecdotally, because this always cracks me up to tell this At the very first SteamCon, <clears throat> Excuse me very first SteamCon, the hotel sold out and the convention sold out and uh, so no more badges were being issued mm-hmm. fire marshal says no more and we're downstairs me and some friends were hanging outside the dealer's room and there's this old lady and she's probably in her late 70s maybe early 80s and she's just wide-eyed she happened to be staying in the hotel and she said well now what is going on here so we tell her and she just, well this is just the neatest thing I've never even heard I'm gonna go get mother She's gonna love this. She goes upstairs and gets her hundred and three year old mother and brings her downstairs and we just ran them through the dealer's room and dressed them up and turned them loose and gave them badges. And they had they had the time of their lives. And and so Mother
0: was probably like, These used to be in fashion when I was young.
3: I
2: have a real one of these, you know, that kind of thing. So it's 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 always a good time, but And I have gotten so far off course, but I'm I'm a bottle rocket of nonsense, and I'm basically here to disabuse you of the notions that southerners speak slowly. (laughs) Um... (laughs) Yes. Next thing.
0: <laughs> well, uh, you mentioned your pets just now, uh, oh, wow. and Mick on Goodreads uh, said, obviously, ask about the new kitten acquisition.
2: Oh, the new kitten is no longer projectile pooping. That's great. Oh,
0: that's good. Congratulations. Uh, on yeah,
2: that. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. No, we're very pleased.
0: Well, you got some applause with that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> some people have been following the saga, um, so I have these friends who are lovely people. They played a gig in downtown Chattanooga and then started driving home ten miles to Georgia and their car started making a funny noise. When they got home, my friend asked her son, who's an apprentice mechanic, like, Hey, look under the hood and tell me what's been making that noise, and he comes inside with this greasy little kitten. Uh, and, And they're like, take it, take it, take it, and my husband was out of town. So I'm like, great, he's going to think I did this on purpose.
0: <laughs> right, but, that's not a, like a terribly believable Well, they're story. friends of ours, and yeah. he knows them. Yeah, like, so I can, you can like, verify. they okay, You vouch know, like, for like,
1: this. Like, I'm just going to grease up this kitten exactly. and bring it into the house. And, <laughs> yeah, right. and pretty much. It'll How will he be be not believe me? It'll, yeah, and it, word to the wise,
2: don't grease up your kittens. You yeah. know what happens when you grease up a kitten? They try and clean themselves off. Oh. And they get GI problems.
1: Oh, oh and yeah. then the projectile. Right. Oh, and
2: the gas. I mean. This was the world's most steampunk kitten. She was entirely gas powered. <laughs> <laughs> it was
0: just. She's a bone shaker. No, I, I'm not even.
2: <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I, I have it. We have a, a large dog. Well, he's a pretty big dog. He's a 90 pound Pyrenees mix from a shelter, He's a shelter mutt. Who is just the the greatest mother hen. He he loves you and you and him and her and that guy over there and all kittens. We use him to socialize litters of foster kittens to dogs. He's really he's he's one of those dogs, right? And and he loves her and and he licks her and takes the best care of her that he can. And she crawled up onto my my chest once and curled, and I could hear her bowels doing the glorp, glorp. (laughs) (laughs) And um she settles it. I was reclined on the couch, so I'm kind of leaning back and she's sitting here and she cuts one. Oh God. That, I mean, not. Uh, I, I'm not kidding. The dog looked at me and looked at her and got up and walked out <laughs> of the room. I was
1: like, and, and she starts purring and goes to sleep. I can't even open a window. Oh man, like, God help me. When you said he started hurting the her, hearing the bur- burbling bur- 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 noise, yeah. I was like, imagine yeah. a slow motion like. No! that That
2: happened a few times. Um, and we have a silver velour couch. <laughs> so what I started doing, i have a I have a fluffy Batman robe I got actually here a few years ago for my husband that I yeah. wear all the time.
3: Yeah.
2: And uh, so I got to where I would just wear the robe and tuck her into the robe, and I ran it through the washing machine, I think, four times that week. Oh, no. But We're it was kidding. better than getting it all over the couch. But she's, she's in good shape now? She's, she's in better shape now. She's almost three pounds, and her name is... Still tiny. Yeah, it, yeah. and she's like 10 weeks old now, 10, 12 wow. weeks old. Mm-hmm. She weighed 1.1 1. 1 pound when I took her to bed. What's and, her name? Her name is Princess Harley Quinn Grease Monkey Stinkfoot.
0: <laughs> As it should be. The
2: yes. first. The first. The first. first. Yes. Now the
1: first stink- of her name. Yeah. <laughs> yes.
2: <Yeah>. yes. <laughs> she goes by Quinn. We have a the dog is Dick Grayson and so the kitten is now Harley Quinn. She's Quinn. That was great. But uh, the stinkfoot I finally gave her her third dawn bath. And, and I have some of the best pictures of it. If you've followed my Twitter, they're just amazing. And the dog trying to lick her dry, you know. Um, but after her third dawn bath, I just blow dry her gently on well cool setting and she's fluffy and cute and I set her down and she stomped on her own crap and walked all over the house. <laughs> <laughs> like climbs up on my bed and <laughs> like, okay. And this is why I don't have kids. The wonderful <laughs> world of animal ownership. Yes. yes, yes. I, I love but kids. I really, really do. But it is hard enough cleaning up after a kitten.
1: Indeed. So. Our next question comes from Turp Kristen. And don't worry, guys. We're going to have a microphone to go around the audience <laughs> after this question. So start thinking of what you want to ask Sherry or if you want to ask us anything about the podcast or about sci-fi fantasy. You just want to tell us what you're reading. Uh, feel free. We'll have a microphone going around. Uh, but Turp Kristen says, uh, what is one of her favorite books that she's read this year, whether or not it was published this year? And what book is she going to read next? Oh dear. Um, I get a lot of stuff like like an ARC,
2: the Advanced Reader Copy Form, to blurb. Um, I did Clay and Susan Griffiths, most recent one. It's a Key and Peel story. I suddenly can't think of the title. There's a bunch of them. They're very good. Uh, Molly Tanzer's New one, Vermillion is quite good. She's great. Read anything of hers. Uh, she did a short story collection a few years ago called A Pretty Mouth, and it is phenomenal. Um... Let's see, what else did I do? There, I did another one just real recently. Anything by Caitlin Kiernan. She's also phenomenal. Uh, I hear that Drowning Girl is going to get a movie adaptation. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see how that really goes. That. Yeah, that was an awesome book. And somebody just asked me this the other day. And as soon as we were done talking, I thought of a thousand things I had meant to
1: add. Um, <laughs> well, you know, saying? you can always tweet at us
3: I can. on Twitter. I like, can. All of these
2: great for everything. Yeah. yeah. Goodreads. I know Mike Cole over here has a new one, too. Mike Cole's here. Mike Cole guys. is here. He's yeah. smiling wave, Mike. I've seen him there. on the show.
0: Yeah. It's Mike Cole. It is Mike Cole.
2: Um, So I I get a lot of stuff from friends, and and I I don't just blur them because they're my friends, but, you know, sometimes I have friends who are really great writers. (laughs) It's true. Oh, The Incorruptibles. uh, John Jacobs is also very good. And Robert J. Bennett, uh, City of Stairs is another good one. We read that Um, for the book club as well. Yes, Mm -hmm. yes. And I will think of more as we go, but I will stop because I will just... You can't. I work from home by myself and you let me out of the house. You cannot shut me up, basically. (laughs) So we'll let other people.
0: So last question before we get to the microphone. And Kim is back there. So wave her down. Uh, She has the microphone (laughs) if you want to ask a question. Uh, But it's another one from Turb Kristen who just kind of wanted to know how has your writing process evolved over the course of these 15 books?
2: Um. Well, I've only been writing exclusively since about 2010, and uh, so I quit my day job kind of around then. And, and what I learned the hard way is that self-discipline does not come naturally to me. Uh, I got to fight for it, and I have a really clean house. Like, my house is so clean <laughs> that people make fun of me for it because you sit down to work, and it's like, well, you know, but... I, I should really, I got some laundry. Oh, I'm so productive I should, I should when I'm procrastinating laundry. on yeah, something. Yeah, it is the yeah. best time to get Well, imagine every single yeah. day and you don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to put on pants. You can just roll into your office and pick up a kitten and, you know, <laughs> do whatever. And who's going to uh, criticize you
0: when you say, well, I vacuumed instead? I, or, I did. Right? And, yeah. Or
2: I cleaned the kitchen. Yeah or I, I went on a tear. <laughs> it was a really, it was a bad deadline and I just snapped and I i, I, I have an old house. It's, it's an old Victorian in a little historic district with really tall ceilings and lots of blinds. Do you know how dusty blinds get? <laughs> I'll tell you how dusty blinds get because I spent something like three hours in like four socks. You like put socks on your hands and run them through the blinds um, in order to not work. So. Really, I, I had to learn to compartmentalize my day. Your dedication
1: is is right, full you know. group,
2: yes. <laughs> my OCD, I tell you. Um, I'm never so OCD as when I'm on a deadline, but, but I had to learn how to compartmentalize my day and how to let some things go. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I'm, I'm going to do the dishes, I'm going to take care of that, but first I'm going to do this. So, mornings, get up, walk the dog, answer all my email if I can, you know, do the businessy crap, the crap, print out contracts and go to the post office and do whatever, lunch, and then afternoons to actually sit and write if I can. And if you had told me, say, 10 years ago, that you could lose an entire day to little stupid fiddly business crap, I would not have believed you. I've lost entire weeks to it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I have to just something every day. Because if you don't, then everything kind of... Like, I have three book deadlines before May of next year and that will come up on you fast but if you do a little bit of something every day you can kind of it it becomes manageable Mm -hmm.
0: i I do that not in the same realm actually i do make myself write something every day but yeah when i have big projects like that i make myself break them up and say get some progress because some Mm -hmm. progress is better than no progress yeah
2: a friend of mine who is also a writer um had a cancer scare and she decided she was going to kind of like you know, un- unscrew up her life and she's like, yeah. I need to lose some weight and I'm gonna come at it like writing. Just it's a little thing every day and gradually everything accumulates to what you want it to be. And at the end, you have this result that you want. Uh, it-, it didn't happen overnight but it, it will you know, become a thing that you have if you do something for it every single day and do something for yourself every day. And I, I liked that comparison, so
1: yeah. That's great. All right, now uh, if you ask a question, we also have cookies. <laughs> so you can come up after you ask your question and grab a very beautiful cookie That's from the table here. Yeah. They're gingerbread mostly. I do not believe they're gluten-free, so just be aware of that. Um, but they, they hopefully are vegetarian, yeah. so there I, you know. there's that.
0: Not <laughs> mandatory, but... Yes.
1: Um, so, just stick your hand up in the air if you have a question, and Kim will come around and, and get to you. All
0: right, we
4: have a first taker. Go ahead and You say can wait till
1: question. the end to come grab a cookie, too, but I'm watching you. I know who asked the question and <laughs> who didn't.
4: It's actually a recommendation. Um, I read Wattpad. Uh, Wattpad? Are you yeah. uh, familiar with that? Yes. Um, there's this um, author, the writer? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've read like books the last couple of years. Um, I got back into it after high school. I I never really was a reader. And um, I found this wattpad uh, website and it's um, it's a lot more interactive nowadays. Um, is I heard there's a new media coming out for for twenty twenty you know, first century readers, you know, and um,
1: Do you work for uh, Wattpad?
4: No 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 <laughs> no that's no, no, right. Um, I was just wondering, like, how how, how is the, the mainstream uh, writers nowadays competing with that? Like, people having, like, paid services, and then there's these free websites. Sure,
0: sure. There's all like kinds that. of choices out there more than ever, yeah. right?
4: Well, there's no
2: one right way to do it, and, and a, a lot of the writers I know have more than one thing, more than one avenue. A lot of them, maybe they're traditionally published, but they also self-produce a few things over here, and maybe some of it's just digital, and uh, some of them have have like audio-only stuff that they do Mm -hmm. digitally, and yeah, I mean, there's no one right way to do it anymore. There's no one monolithic model for publishing like there used to be. So it's, uh, people
1: have a lot more options. Yeah, and even people like Hugh Howey, who start out yeah. kind of doing their own thing via Amazon or, or any of the various other online publishing models, sometimes then they go on to work with a, a major publisher yeah. or do something more typically stereotypical for publishing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's there's a ton of options out there these days, and Wattpad is pretty great. I haven't I haven't used it too much myself, do but either. yeah, and it's much easier. Generally speaking, to, to overgeneralize and yet say something
2: that's largely true, it's a lot easier to go into independent publishing if you already have a little bit of a platform and people kind of already know who you are a little bit. But uh, sometimes it, it goes the other way too. It really is a crapshoot.
1: Yeah, that's something a lot of people have asked us about in the past. How, as a new author, do they kind of get themselves out there, especially if they're going the independent publishing route? And I think it's really just talking to other authors, getting out there, going to workshops, you know. Uh, well, what, do you, what do you recommend? Um, something that I see a lot of,
2: um, and I get asked to talk to a lot of writers groups and and, and that sort of thing, I, I there's always one person in the writers group, it's usually a guy, not always, but it's usually a guy who's super organized and he has like a three ring binder of all of the notes of all of the things that he's totally going to do for this next book that he's been working on for 10 years. Or you have the person who, and there's usually this other person too, who who has thrown something together and has the super slick marketing stuff, but the product is just not very good. All of their attention was spent on building the package instead of concentrating on what the actual meat of the thing was. Hmm. So really, the only advice you can give somebody is is you know keep working to make your material as good as it can be, and and go from there. And like somebody told me a long long time ago Mm -hmm. when I was first getting into publish, it's like look if you're good nothing can stop you. If you're bad, nothing can help you.
1: Mm.
2: And, and that's not always true, but it's true enough (laughs) most of the time. Well, and I
0: feel like with all of these different ways like Wattpad, like independent, uh, self-publishing, Kindle, Kindle Direct, InkShares, that you have more of a chance to get yourself, get something you've written, looked at, and get Mm -hmm. feedback and see what people like, which is always, I think that's always the hardest part.
1: Testing the audience. Yeah. Mm A little dipstick. Yeah. All right, next question. Come on, cookies. Oh, Silence filled the room. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> He's gonna keep asking questions all night, folks. Unless you unless you jump in. I'm just saying.
4: It's uh, it's about your genre, actually. Um, there's this author named Renault underscore K on Wattpad, and um, I see this other guy um, who published this book called Summoner Novice and that's in the fantasy um, genre. I was just wondering, like, is it a lot of dedication involved to getting into publishing? Like, if someone is doing a degree and they're doing this story part-time, but it's like a ten-time better writer than the person who's published, is it all about effort when it gets to that stage?
0: Yeah, how much is effort and how much is luck?
4: Something.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it is kind of that same thing where if, 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 if you keep honing your skills and, and really the, there are only two things that will make you a better writer and that's reading a lot and writing a lot and you should learn to take fe- learn how to take feedback and criticism but be choosy about who you take it from because you're never going to please anybody find somebody who's better than you and get them to look at it But if you stick to it, and sometimes it takes people years and years and years, eventually you'll break in. But persistence has a great deal to do with it. But all the persistence in the world, if you're not improving, if you're not growing, I I have literally known people who have been trying to sell a novel they wrote 20 years ago, and it's the only thing they ever wrote. And I find that very sad, Hmm. because it's like, no, you you should finish the one thing and then start doing something else, and then come back and clean this up. And I I mean, oh,
1: yeah, just keep. I'm just talking in circles now. Well,
0: I, you know, as as someone who writes in an amateur way the more i write the better i feel i get at it and the more i look at my old stuff and realize what was wrong with it Mm -hmm. that i didn't realize when i wrote it there's
2: so much Uh, lord before my first book was published i had uh six trunk novels we call them the stuff that you put away in the trunk and then i thank god none of them ever made it to press they were just just terrible
1: <laughs> you say that now but then in 10 years you might be like maybe i can
3: clean this up a little bit perfect yeah
1: every now and again i'll
2: cannibalize because there's often like one cool idea just like in a big old big bowl of poop with whipped cream on top it's mm-hmm. just but you go find the good idea and use yeah. it somewhere else. Well, is is you, it cat poop?
1: Is it might it cat, be. Cat poop? In my house, probably. I'm yeah.
0: tempted to say if you hadn't pooped it out in the first place, you wouldn't have found that good idea.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I feel like this is the course. second Dragon Con in a row that we've had poop jokes mm. on the stage. Why does this keep happening? I don't know. Weird. Number two? It is number two. <laughs> number two, thank you. <laughs>
0: thank you. That's well
1: fair. done. Well said.
0: You have to ask the next question now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's next? We got somebody. Oh, we got one, we got, we got okay.
3: one there, I'll and then Mike, there. we'll get to Mike. Cool. Okay, th- this is a question for Tom and Veronica and the and the audience. Hi, my name is Zan. Hi, Hi Zan. Zan. Good to see you Hi. again. Bye um because sword and laser is not like a daily podcast which is what i'm used to listening to is some of your daily podcasts that you've done over the years i get really excited when there's a new episode and sometimes i'll have even like a couple built up because i forgot to listen to it and then there's like two or three built up And then when I hear the theme music, because it's so peppy, I get really excited and I start car dancing, you know, like dancing when you're in the car. Yeah. And I was wondering, does anybody else, show of hands, dance to the Sword and Laser opening theme music? Is it just me? Oh, we
0: got one. I'm not
3: alone. Yeah, we can all do it. There you go. Great (laughs) theme music.
0: Well, that's Josh Lawrence uh, who created our theme music, so all credit to Josh. Yeah, we need need to get
3: some choreography for the Sword and Laser theme music up in here.
0: That's something for the meetups, because we have several Sword and Laser book clubs that meet locally. Uh, We highly encourage you to film yourself dancing to the Sword (laughs) and (laughs) (laughs)
3: Laser.
1: Get some kind of choreography nailed down, yeah. and can spread it. Some Bollywood on good type moves. Oh, that'd good be good. Yeah. yeah, I'm all for it. Yeah, the sword and laser dancers, oh, and then they can perform at Dragon Con next my year. That would be <gasps> that'd be amazing. Okay, you're in charge of that Sam. Okay. I'm making a you the, a the dance person. Okay, awesome. thank you.
0: <laughs> so uh, Sherry, you you've talked a lot about Lizzie Borden as but we all know that for both Maplecroft and Chapelwood, that's really only half the equation of what's going on from the heart perspective. We also know that H.P. Lovecraft just had a birthday, um, the inventor of the Thulu myths. So I wanted to ask if you could talk a little bit about that. There's a lot of similarities. H.P. Lovecraft lived in the 20s or in the early ni- uh, 20th century when this was set. Um, so uh, we've, we've heard about
4: Lizzie. Uh, how did Lovecraft and the Thulu mythos factor into this?
2: Um, to be perfectly honest, I thought it would just be a perfect... Uh, like. I, w- <clears throat> When I started working on Maplecroft, which I actually started working on back in about 2007, and finally finished a couple of years ago, um, I-, I liked the idea of trying to do a Lovecraftian take on Dracula, if that makes any sense. And and I've had a couple people pick up on like this is this is just kind of like Lovecraft doing Dracula. Yes, thank you, thank you. That's exactly <laughs> what I wanted. Um, and and and. To overgeneralize but say something that's kind of largely true, uh, Lovecraft stuff kind of comes in two flavors. There's the stuff that's the ocean-based, the the water-based monsters and creatures and horrors, the stuff that is below us and the stuff that is above us. It's the water and the cosmic. It's the gods that are out here and the gods that are down here. And he said once that he wanted to tell stories that would frighten an atheist, which was really kind of a new thing when he was writing. And I mean, to get it out of the way up front, Lovecraft, hugely problematic, hugely problematic in a number of ways. But the one thing he really did right that I that I tried to to learn from and move forward with um like I, when I was a kid growing up, the scary stories were like slasher flicks. They were, you know, well the one, the, the two kids who have sex are totally gonna die, and so is the babysitter over there, and you know, and 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 it relied an awful lot, the, the entire genre of it. Uh, relied on, on people doing stupid things and therefore they get punished for doing stupid things and you as audience kind of feel good about the bad things that happen to them.
1: <laughs> You're like, Haha, Morality tales. Exactly. I would yeah. not
2: have gone in there. Ha ha ha. With, with the light pouring out from under the door and the green ooze and the blood. Yeah, no, no. No right person would. you know. But So Lovecraft's answer to that was instead of making your protagonist dumber so that the threat gets them more easily to make your threat bigger. Make it something so beyond the pale that even the most reasonable, competent, sane person would not have a hope in hell of actually I- interfacing with it, much less successfully overcoming it. Mm-hmm. And that that's something that has always been really interesting to me because his protagonists are they are the most credible of their kind of the day they are educated white men <laughs> and they are they are you know they, they are uh, experts in their fields and these are exactly the kind of people you would listen to and they do all of the kind of things that smart and reasonable people would do and it doesn't matter they still get eaten anyway you know or they go crazy anyway or or you know it, no good comes of it anyway no matter what you do and that's that's genuinely frightening so with Maplecroft, i started with the ocean it's over by full river in Fall River near near the ocean. And uh, so this is it's very much the water stuff. And then for Chapelwood, I decided to go the cosmic way. And this is all about um you know his cosmic and the odd geometry and 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 it's it's a little more of a cast of thousands because the the, the real situation in in Birmingham, Alabama. Oh, I'll say this first. The reason I knew about the weird axe murders in the 1920, Mary Robinette Kowal. How many of y'all know who she is? She is first of all, she's amazing. Yeah. Yes. Go yeah. check her out. And second, we were talking about what I was going to do for a follow-up to Maplecroft. Her family lives on the other end of town from me. I see her more now than when she lived in Portland and I live in Seattle. Um, She's like, well, you know, there are a bunch of really weird axe murders in Birmingham in the 1920s. In her family, a housekeeper they had had apparently been one of the victims who survived and slept with an axe under her bed for the rest of her life in case they came back. (laughs) And so I did a little digging, and it was... So it was one of those fascinating messes of a scenario that I actually dialed back a little bit to make it more believable. And I say that having added cosmic horror and Lizzie Borden with an axe. (laughs) But like every time you thought you'd gone far enough down the rabbit hole to understand what was happening, because, okay, there were a series of axe murders. And at first, uh, everybody thought that... um, uh, a group of, of black men were doing it, and it became pretty apparent pretty quickly that that's not what was happening because most of the victims were either in interracial relationships or they were unpopular minorities. And then they seemed to branch out, and I forget exactly how many there were. In fact, they're not sure. They want to say may, maybe as many as 14 to 18, depending on how you qualified it. Some people lived, some people didn't. Um, and, and in the background of this, you have this change of the guard in Birmingham where the political situation had been becoming very progressive after restoration. They, they had, um, you know, they, they put a lot of infrastructure, they were trying to welcome everybody, they were trying to move forward as part of the United States of America again. And uh, this group called the True Americans, who were kind of like the super right wing of the Klan. Huh came in and bought the election and kicked everybody out. And it was, it was one of those cases where you have a bunch of really good people trying really hard to do the right thing, and they just couldn't. They just lost. They, they, were, they were out-eviled.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And... One, one of the more interesting little tidbits... And, okay, so in the middle of that, you have the mafia coming in because Prohibition went into Alabama before it, keeps it went... keeps getting better. No, I'm serious, but this is the thing. So right. the mafia comes in because...
0: The great old ones seem kind of minor. so Exactly. Yeah.
2: So, so the mafia comes in because Prohibition went down in Alabama before it went down for the rest of the country. So there's already an, a bootleg market there, and they're afraid that somebody's coming after the Italian merchants, so the the, the mob gets involved. And then this priest gets shot on the, footste- uh, foot, on the steps of this chapel, uh, of this church, Church, and uh, the entire town gets involved because the guy was upset that the priest had married his daughter to a Puerto Rican man. Oh, the horror. And so his was a big trial in the area. But then you have this right-wing conspiracy group that fears and loathes Catholics getting into the middle of it. And they're confident that the Pope is going to come down and he's the Antichrist. I mean, like, the whole thing just got weirder and weirder and weirder and weirder. And I'm like, how about it's just old ones? <laughs> <laughs> how about we just have elder gods? And that's a lot simpler. But, but, but it was a chance to kind of address because the creeping racism and the xenophobia is one of the is part of the sprawling evil that is happening mm-hmm. and one of the weirder little tidbits that was just a footnote that i thought was fascinating what, what one of the first laws passed prohibited catholics from holding any job anywhere in the county or city they were basically going to chase them out or starve them out you didn't care what kind of catholic you were or where you're from no but it didn't work and it didn't work because of the jewish population a lot of these people had recently their families had come over from europe facing the same kind of thing and they had just enough socioeconomic power they owned just enough businesses just enough you know uh, uh, like middle america type standing that they quietly hired these people under the table huh. and and basically kept this entire population from being evicted from the city wow. and just all these weird little little mechanisms of just this really strange and terrible time and place and um I, frankly, Elder Gods almost made more sense.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you know? I can see why now. Yeah. All right, do we have any more questions here? We've got one up here in the front. <laughs> Mike Cole's getting his cookie now, so
1: <laughs> it well
0: deserves. Yes. Thank you.
1: I hope it's not poison. Oh, we get another one <laughs> Wouldn't um, that be sad? I am sorry. Princess X. Start oh. over. I'm sorry, I was talking over you. Go <laughs> ahead. Um, what brought you to writing I Am Princess X? Because
2: that seems oh the YA very, yeah um, that my. Seems really good. <laughs> My first young adult novel just came out uh, earlier this summer. It's called I Am Princess X, and it's through Scholastic, and what, what what had happened was I was trying to sell a different young adult project called Ninja Planet, and it's lots of fun. Um, it's about these group of kids who pull together this marketing campaign, basically, to convince a group of invading aliens that everyone on planet Earth is a ninja, because they're little tiny aliens and they're kind of afraid of the- Anyway, it's fun. It's comic sci-fi, but it's a girl and her cousin and their gay best friend, and there's no romantic angle, and girls won't read sci-fi without romance, and boys won't read read, read sci-fi with a girl protagonist, and so nobody would touch it. Mm. But, Scholastic, that's not why they passed on it. They, they kind of stopped and went, wait a minute, this is pretty cool. Um, we don't actually publish a lot of science fiction, but we license it sometimes. Um, so we're not gonna take this, but we have this in-house project we've been looking for a writer for that is gonna have a graphic element, you know, webcomic type fantasy element in it. Um, would you like to put in for it? <laughs> And at the time, I didn't have I like ah sure what the hell I'm a Scholastic you know this is a really cool opportunity and so I did and we went back and forth a few rounds and an editor gave me a paragraph and said here could you turn this into like a few sample chapters and an outline and proposal and I'm like yeah let me just pull that right out of my ass uh, it's it's a cavernous ass it's like a magician's <laughs> hat. Can pull anything out of it, um, so I did, and they took it, and and um, and and Prince X X happened, and we're doing a follow up. It's not related to that. that. That's a very self-contained story. But we're doing, I just signed to do one next year called Drawing Fire, and it's a haunted house story set in New Orleans where they find a, uh, basically a family comes back post-Katrina trying to rebuild and restore this old house, and preserved up in the attic, they find uh, the manuscript for one of the Golden Age masters that has been lost for years and years, and there are ghosts. So it's honestly kind of more my wheelhouse than Princess X, but that was such a great opportunity that. You know, I'm I'm really glad it happened. It's a cute book, and like the web comics are done in purple. And uh, the artist's name is Kelly Seismeyer, I think is how you say your name. I feel bad if I'm wrong, but the artist did just a phenomenal job with it, and um, I'm very proud of how that came out.
1: Great. We have time for one more question, uh, and then we'll leave a little extra time at the end for book buying. Yes. Um, and for clearing out the room and stuff. We got one yeah, right Yeah, we got here. one. I'm Go ahead. Thank you, sir. And cookies.
4: Um, Earlier, Sherry mentioned the scenario where someone spent 20 has been trying to sell their book for 20 years, and you know they keep going and they're just trying on the book. How do you deal with that rejection, or when do you think someone should move on from that and continue trying something new? Well, I
2: mean, it it, there's no one right answer to that. Um, Generally speaking, my advice is you finish the one thing, you put it down, let it cool off for a while, and start writing something else. Then go back to it. Because with fresh eyes, you'll see all kinds of stuff you didn't notice the first time. Uh, clean it up and try and sell it. While you're sending that out, be working on the next thing. And I mean, as far as rejection, I get rejected all the time now. Um, we were trying to shop something around for a while that I still can't find out. Several things that I can't find a home for, not for love or money. Uh, it's just part of the industry and if you, if you have a hard time with rejection, this is probably not the industry for you. I could wallpaper my house with rejection slips and that's not even an exaggeration.
1: So is that an opportunity to go the self-publishing route? Like if you feel really strongly about a story it, it and it's not getting picked people. up, is it um, is that a good option? Like The Martian by Andy uh, Anywhere, uh, uh, Andy yeah. Andy yeah. yeah. I mean that's a good example
2: of that. He kind of couldn't land a home for it so he produced it himself and if you do want to go the independent production route, I strongly recommend you hire an editor. Uh, not like you know, to cramp your style, but to make sure that um, for, for consistency and continuity. Editors have saved my life. So, uh, my favorite editor saving my life story, so I did this book called Bloodshot about uh, this OCD vampire and her ex-Navy seal drag queen sidekick. And it was lots of, running from the men in black, it's lots of fun, Um, but in the original manuscript, and and God bless, the the editor, her name is Ann Grohl, and she's George R.R. Martin's editor, so she's very diverse in her tastes. (laughs) But she hands me back the manuscript, and I realized within four pages, as they're running from the men in black, the drag queen takes off her shoes three times. Um. And she wrote in the margins with a little smiley, Octo Queen. <laughs> I'm like son of a bitch, because I had read through that thing probably eight, ten times, yeah. and I just never noticed. But I strongly recommend paying somebody who knows what they're doing to take a look at it. Mm. And and because uh, very, very, very few people in this world are so perfect with their drafts that they're, it's ready for prime time right out of the gate.
1: So you had Princess X. Uh, what else is next for you coming up in 2015, or what are you working on? Um well hopefully the next thing that comes out uh, we've had some production timing issues with a little bit
2: I I finally got to do a southern gothic uh, haunted house story and it's called the family plot and it's really really fun and uh, it's basically a salvage crew that gets stuck in a poltergeist riddled place and it's just my favorite bit about it do you guys know the show salvage dogs yes okay so salvage dogs so I'm at home one night by myself drinking watching tv like you do and salvage dogs is on and I love it I want to go to Roanoke so bad and go to their store and I had, I had we had most of a draft of this thing going on, and then I, at the end of the credits, it says, "Contact if you like to contact us and have a word with us," and, and I'm like, <gasps> oh, "Yes, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it." So I had my phone and I like sent them a little email real quick. Hiccup, send. And the next day, I got an email back from their general manager, and he and it says, "You know, I check this inbox about once every, you know, once every week or so." 99% of the emails are how do I start my own salvage company and so I send back a form reply with a link to let me google that for you <laughs> he's like no one has ever asked me this because I'm like hey I'm a writer I'm working on this book and it's about a salvage crew that's you know stuck in an old house and um, all the people I know who work on old houses because I have an old house are restoration people not salvage people and I wondered if I could ask you a few really specific questions I promise I'm not going to ask you like how to start my own salvage company um, he's like here's my phone number give me a call and so I sat on the phone with him the next day and I'm jumping all over the house and like, oh yeah, no, that's very cool. Thank you very much. And I'm like doing the booty shake and my dog thinks I'm insane and I don't care because I, and he was really, really helpful and I'm, I'm so grateful for that, but. It, uh, I live in a little historic district like I said and we have, if, if this place isn't haunted there's basically no such thing as ghosts so I wanted to uh, go ahead and play with that.
1: It's kind of amazing because you can really you, just the, the act of asking. Oh yeah. I think you would be so amazed by the number of people who are just excited to be asked questions mm-hmm. like that and help you with projects mm-hmm. and it's it's really, you know, one of the things that we've found pretty amazing doing Sword and Laser um, over the years is how great it is in uh, to be part of a community and just be able to talk to people and, and ask people for advice and get information back. You tell them you're working on a book, people will tell you anything. (laughs) Sometimes
2: stuff they probably shouldn't tell someone who has told you that they're writing a book. But it's. But anyway, that one's called The Family Plot, and it is slated for April. And I'm really, really excited about it. And after that, later on that year, is going to be one also through this publisher called Brimstone, about a World War I vet who comes home and finds his wife is dead of the Spanish flu, and he's brought something back from Europe with him that wants to burn witches. Oh. So, and then after that, there's another one called... Toll. Uh, that'll be late year after next probably. There, there's an old uh, bit of urban lore around the Okefenokee Swamp. <laughs> Y'all from Georgia probably around here. Uh, you take this one road from west, from east to west and you'll cross six bridges. You take it from west to east you might cross seven but you better hope not. Ooh. So this is a story about the toll you pay. Nice. And that's all I have on deck at the moment apart from drawing fire which won't be probably till early tw- late 2017
1: okay. so it's like i have all these deadlines all this stuff piled up <laughs> it's like when is everything coming out i don't even know it sounds like all good stuff though i'm excited about it awesome I'm very excited about it well you can follow sherry online at sherrypriest.com and on twitter at cmpriest and thank you guys so much for joining us you yes. can follow us at sword and and thank you so much for being here at DragonCon. <laughs> we'll see you next
3: everybody. year